As we continue to make our way through the book of Genesis, I invite you to turn in that book with me to the 21st chapter, to Genesis chapter 21. As you're turning there, let me ask you to be thinking about this. Have you ever made a promise? Most of you have, I dare say all of you. Most of you, in fact, have made some very serious promises during your lifetime. Now let me ask you this, have you kept them? Or has anyone ever made a promise to you? Well, of course you say, people have made promises to me. Have they kept their promises to you? One of the most disappointing things, one of the most grievous things about life in a fallen Sin-ridden world such as ours must certainly be broken promises, ours and others. We grieve in the recollection of the promises we've broken, the things that we have left undone, and we've all felt the sharpness of the dagger of promises unkept to us, whatever they may have been. But this much is certain, whatever promises you have broken, whatever promises have been broken against you, there is one whose promises will never be broken, whose promises will be fulfilled, and that completely and fully. Let us pray. Our promise-keeping God, we pray that you will also keep your promise concerning your word, that it will not return to you void, but will accomplish that which you set out to do. We pray, our Father, that you will speak to your children now in it, that it will be the voice of God that we hear and apply it to us, we pray, deeply to our hearts, and may our lives be conformed to this truth every day. For we ask it for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse Children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Booker T. Washington, in his autobiography, Up From Slavery, describes meeting an ex-slave from Virginia. I found that this man had made a contract with his master, he writes, two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself 
by paying so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, he was to be permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. And when freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his master, this black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. In talking to me about this, Washington continues, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but that he had given his word to his master, and his word he had never broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom till he had fulfilled his promise. In Genesis 21, we have a promise as well. This one, not the one, not one from a slave to his master, but of a master to his servant. God had made a promise to Abraham, a promise he repeated and repeated to Abraham in one form or another from the general to the specific for some 25 years that Abraham would have a child. Abraham would have a son. He began all the way back, you remember, when he called Abraham out of Ur, telling Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. Later on, after Abraham and his nephew Lot separated, the promise was offspring as the dust of the earth. But the years went by, one after another, and still they remained childless. Still Sarah's womb remained barren. We've watched over these past months as we've made our way through these chapters in Genesis, Abraham becoming even complexed, even exercised by all of this to the point of saying, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You remember, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Do you remember God's answer? This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Yet time passed again until Sarai said to her husband, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant so that we may bear children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, you remember, and took Hagar the Egyptian, the servant, and, gave, and she gave her to Abraham and and uh, he went into her, and she conceived. And yet another several years dragged by. You all remember the episode from Genesis 17. God says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. 
Remember how Abraham responded that time? He fell on his face and he laughed to himself. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? God says, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And then shortly after that, the Lord appears to him with two companions, to Abraham on the plains of Mamre, and asks, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she's in the tent. And the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah, you remember, behind the flap of the tent, listening into all of this behind him, an old woman listening to her old husband in conversation, knowing the whole time that the way of women had ceased to be with her. So she laughs. She laughs and, and says, after I'm worn out and my Lord is, is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord says to Abraham, you remember, why did Sarah laugh? Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And within a few months, she conceives. And now at God's appointed time, she brings forth her firstborn son. Was God faithful to his promise? Absolutely. Absolutely. God was faithful to his promise, despite the fact that Abraham and Sarah both doubted the promise, tested the promise, forgot the promise, acted as though there were no promise, even jeopardize that promise as far as the human perspective is concerned. But none of that changed the fact that God was true to his promise and would make certain that his promise would be fulfilled regardless of whatever circumstances lay between the making of it and the keeping of it. His word is true and it is trustworthy altogether. Which is the first point this morning. God is a true keeper of his promises. And for that reason, you may be sure and you may be certain, Christian, that what he has told you, he will do. Men will fail you. Others will make promises to you and break those promises. You will break promises. God never will. Now, circumstances may cause you to wonder. The events of your life, even recent ones, may, may cause you to ask, may even begin to cause you to doubt his promises. But that does not change the fact that he remains ever faithful to fulfill everything he's told you. This is clearly the message of the passage right before us, emphasized over and again in verses 1 and 2. Just look at the language. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore to Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Moses here writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is hammering the point home. God is faithful. God keeps his promises and he does just as he said. His word is true, utterly true. As the Lord made promises to you, Christian, as he promised never to leave you nor forsake you, then he never will. As God promised to care for all of your needs perfectly, to clothe you and to feed and nourish you when you trust in him and seek his kingdom and its righteousness, then know that your needs will be met and perfectly according to his perfect will for you. Has God promised that he's working out all things for good? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, then it shall be done just as he has said. And every circumstance of your life, every one of them will be orchestrated perfectly for your good. Now, does that mean that every note will be bright to you? Or, or conversely, does that mean that the symphony of providences will have no minor chords, no pauses? You know the answers too well. You saints who have walked before him for any amount of time, God's providences are not all easy, nor are they easy to understand. Quite impossible, in fact. Which brings me to the second point. While God is true to his promises, he is also true to his promises in his time. In his time. Look, the years, they, they seem to have passed away, and it seems like the, the clock has ticked out its last beats. In fact, it has the last beats of fertility, and this couple have all but torn their hair out over the delay in its coming. God's timing is perfect. In fact, that point is made explicitly, isn't it? There in verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Dear flock, remember this and don't ever forget it. The best of God's favors are often bestowed after a long, long time of waiting for them. In fact, his greatest blessings to his saints, those the saints are still waiting for today and have been waiting these thousands of years. But it is precisely in this waiting that, that God both strengthens our faith and deepens our eventual joy. God's help is always sure. His method seldom guessed. Delay will make our pleasure pure. Surprise will give it zest. 
Isn't that exactly what he did in Abraham and Sarah's case? The long delay, the years of waiting, marked by laughter, sometimes of half faith, half doubt, other times of unalloyed disbelief. I say all those years disappear and they're drowned out by the uncontrolled laughter of Sarah's joy as she looks down at the babe nursing at her breast and the laughter of all those who heard of it with her as well. God will keep his promises, brothers and sisters. He will keep them, everyone, and he will keep them in his perfect time. But how can we be sure? How can we be sure about this that, and certain that he will be true to the promises that he's made? When the days stretch into years and the years stretch into decades, on what shall we fix our certainty? That brings us to the third point. God is a true keeper of his promises, and he keeps those promises in his good time. And we may be certain of all these things because third, God is the all-powerful keeper of his promises. He's the all-powerful keeper of his promises. That's what makes God's promises sure to us. It is the fact that he who has made these promises to us is also able to keep them no matter what comes. Nearly two years ago, a man by the name of Shane Colton was about to be deployed for his second tour of duty in Iraq. You may have read the story. He told his son Lance that as soon as he got back from Iraq, they'd finished their project. That project was a 68 Camaro that they had bought a piece of junk that they hoped to turn together into a jewel. We had a race to see who could take apart uh, their part of the engine fastest, says son Lance Colton, Shane's son. He cheated. And he made me sweep up the floor. But one month later, Lance's father was shot down near Baghdad. And the Camaro sat silent, a rusty reminder for both his son and his widow. Well, as it turned out, with the help of some generous auto parts dealers and shop class volunteers from many miles away, the car was finally restored and Today, as the story goes, the father's promise has been kept. But the glaring part of that lovely story, as wonderful as it is, is that the father did not keep his promise. He meant well, of course, and nobody holds it against him. But the reason he did not keep his promise was that he could not keep his promise not against the power of a lethal bullet. And that's the difference, you see. Our Father is not limited in his ability to keep his promise. No, no bullets, no artillery, no amount of opposition, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers. Nothing can diminish his ability to keep the promises that he has made to you, nor hinder him in the fulfillment of them in his good time. 
Look at Abraham and Sarah. The way of women has long ceased with Sarah, and Abraham is an old man. No amount of fertility drugs, no amount of medical procedures could give them children in our day, let alone theirs. Things had come to the point where it was simply impossible. It was totally inconceivable that Sarah would bear Abraham a child. Who would have said, asked Sarah, who would have said it? Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would, would nurse children? But none of that, none of it presents a problem to God. They are, says A.W. Pink, mere trifles. Mere trifles that present no difficulty to him who is infinite in power. And that is precisely what the circumstances of your life today are to God. They may seem to you like insurmountable trials. Maybe piled one on top of the other, a huge wall that you cannot possibly scale. And you wonder to yourself right now this morning, how can God work all of these things for good? I can't see it. Your heart may be aching right now and the way ahead blurred by your own tears and you may be wondering and struggling and fearing. But what seems to you such a great trial and is to God, it's a mere trifle. A trifle to God's power. The one who spoke all things into being by the word of his power, who put the stars in their place and named them as we heard, as he called us to worship this morning. The one who separated the waters, the one who made angels and men and who rules over everything from the movement of, of great planets to the motions of invisible electrons. This God, this almighty God is your God, and there is nothing but nothing in all of the universe, in the heavens or on the earth, that does not submit to his all-powerful rule in the minutest detail and in every place and at all times. This is why God's promises are sure. It's because of his power to fulfill those promises that, that that power is entirely sure and more than enough to accomplish what he has said he will do. But you ask then, how do I persevere? Do I have the strength to persevere in all of this? Aged Saints might ask themselves this, who have grown weary of the weight and who wonder how much longer their strength will continue and whether God still has a work for them to do. And the lesson for you lies face up on this page too. God will give you the strength, you senior saints. He will give you the strength to persevere and to continue in the obedience that comes from faith, you are not too old for God to work in you and through you. Look at Moses. 
He was 80 years old when his 40-year career began. Abraham, we know, lived some 75 more years after the birth of Isaac and had more children, six sons, in fact, by his wife Keturah after Sarah died. Then look at Sarah. Strength not only to carry at her age a child, but also to give birth. And then did you notice that wonderful little detail to nurse her child? Oh, dear mothers and fathers in the faith, God will never fail to give to you the strength to do everything he has for you to do until every one of his purposes and all of his promises are perfectly fulfilled and completed in your life. And yet we have even more certainty of the promises of God here that they will be fulfilled, every one of them, just as he has said. It's not immediately clear in the passage before us, but especially during this season of the year, it certainly is on the front of our minds. It is the fact that God did not do this only once, did he? He not only did this in the case of Abraham's son, he did this in the case of Abraham's greater, capital S, Son, our Lord, whose birth is merely foreshadowed in Isaac's. Time only allows us briefly to notice the parallels, but look at them. First, notice that both Isaac and Jesus were the promised seed and son. We've already seen this over and again with, with Isaac. But what about Jesus? Isaac was foretold all the way from Genesis 12 and took until Genesis 21. Ah, but Jesus' birth was foretold even before that. Remember? Genesis 3. Jesus' birth was foretold all the way back then that he would come from Eve to crush the serpent's head. The prophet Isaiah, you remember, some 700 years before Christ's birth, took it even further. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, says Isaiah, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Second, there was a considerable delay between the promise and the fulfillment in both cases. In Isaac's, it was years. In Jesus's, it was millennia. Third, the news was received by both mothers with a question. Sarah asks, you remember, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Mary's faith was much stronger, but she'll st still she had to ask in wonder, didn't she? How can this be since I'm a virgin? God's answer to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sounds a whole lot like the answer she got. Nothing will be impossible with God. In both cases, the answer, you notice, is God's omnipotence, his all-powerful nature. Fourth, both boys' names were given before they were born. You will call him Isaac, God told Abraham. You shall call his name Jesus, the angel said. Uh, an angel of the Lord told Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. Fifth, both births came at God's appointed time, at the time God had 
spoken, we read in verse 2, and when the time had fully come, we heard it just a few moments ago in the assurance of our pardon from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Sixth, both births were nothing short of miraculous, though Mary's case is the greater of the two. While Sarah's dead womb coming to life must certainly be an amazing work of God, it is without even the benefit of a human father at all that Jesus is found in the womb of Mary. And isn't that exactly what we should expect? Because the former miracle is but the foreshadowing of the latter. And then finally, seventh, there is joy and laughter. Sarah laughed and the world laughed with her. Mary broke forth into joy and heaven and earth sang with her. And now that joy is our joy too. All of you who believe in him, who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, the one born of a virgin by the power of Almighty God has done this. And it is to us laughter and joy unspeakable who have seen his promises that they are altogether true that he is altogether able to fulfill them and that he will always keep his promises in his perfect time. And so I ask you, if these promises of God are fulfilled, if he has not withheld from you even his own son, Will he not also with him freely give you all things? Ah, to ask that question is to answer it. Amen.